Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to be discussing oxalates. What does that mean? Not just foodborne oxalates, because that's mostly what we hear about. We're going to be talking about root cause of migraines and then also gluten cross reactors. If you've been told to avoid gluten, you might want to think about avoiding these foods that also mimic gluten in the body. So hang tight and we'll be right back. Okay, so let's start our conversation today talking about oxalates. So we hear about food containing oxalates, which is, you know, the highest offenders are probably spinach, beets. Um, I really think soy products are super high, um, but just greens with the obsession with green juices and things like that. If you have an oxalate problem, that's a recipe for a disaster. So we'll talk about that. But um, they can be derived from three different types. So diet, of course. They can be metabolites of fungus overgrowth in the gut, and they can also be metabolites of our metabolism. So lots of different ways that we can form oxalates in the body. So we're going to be talking about some of those and then some ways that we can start to address if we do have a problem and then other ways to avoid. Um, So one way I look at this is looking at oxalic acid on the organic acid test. And really what this is, is a metabolite of oxalic acid, and this is the most acidic organic acid found in the body. And it really causes internal rust or oxidative stress. So just so you have a little bit of forefront and, you know, background on oxalic acid, it is used commercially to remove rust um, on machinery. So it's very, very corrosive to the body. Also, antifreeze is converted into oxalates in the body. So that you know, just to kind of tell you, like, this is a very toxic metabolite. We do not want this in our body. And we certainly don't want to already have it going on. And then we increase more of it by adding in foods that contain oxalates in the body. So let's talk about some foods that are high offenders in oxalates. Like I said, spinach, soy are some of the highest offenders. Um, Tea and even coffee, those can definitely be high in oxalates. And it's not that everybody needs to avoid them 100%. You need to look at what your body's doing. And so by running an organic acid test, if you have history of kidney stones, joint pain, things like rheumatoid arthritis, you definitely might want to be checking in on your oxalic acid and also be considering a lower oxalate diet. So that's kind of what we'll talk about now. So like I said, wheat bran, cashews, soy, walnuts. Those are just some of a few kale, Swiss chard, arugula. Um, so think about, you know, people who are obsessed with green smoothies right now, there's a time and a place, right? For them. But for someone who has oxalate issues, joint pain, kidney stones, things like that, they can contain almost 1500 milligrams of oxalates in one green smoothie, which is a ton, especially for a person who cannot remove them from their body or break them down. Usually, um, a daily dose, a quote unquote normal daily dose of oxalates is anywhere from 80 to 120 milligrams. So you're up to 1500 for just one green smoothie and that's one little part of your day. Just something to think about. Um, Also, the other thing is, is if you are low calcium in your diet, oxalates are absorbed into the bloodstream. So if calcium's in range, oxalates are able to combine with calcium to form insoluble crystals to be eliminated in the stool. So you can essentially catch them in the GI tract. So that's something that's really important. If you are predisposed to kidney stones, if you are, you know, have had treatments for those and things like that, it's important to recognize the connection to not necessarily cut calcium because a lot of times a doctor will tell you to cut calcium um, because, you know, they are calcium oxalate formations. 
but being too low in calcium is going to make you at a greater risk of them going into the bloodstream and becoming systemic. So you want to catch them in the intestinal tract. So let's talk about some symptoms of high oxalates in the body. So we mentioned kidney stones, joint pain, fibromyalgia, vulvar pain for women, anemia, trap, they can trap heavy metals in the body. So heavy metal toxicity that won't go away. A lot of times that's tied to um, oxalates. They also, like I said, if they go systemic, so if they go in the bloodstream, they aren't caught and eliminated through the stool, then they can go to the bones. So obviously they were going to have joint pain, things like that. Um, Joints, blood, lungs, thyroid, and even brain. So they really can become systemic issues. So they're not necessarily just kidney issues. Um, And they also inhibit the absorption of minerals. And then, of course, even um, a lot of times you're going to see autism spectrum children have high oxalate loads. So they definitely, and that's when they're going to go more systemic and start affecting with um, neuroinflammation. So let's go into some root causes. So this is a really big one, a B6 deficiency. So it makes sense that there would be a higher occurrence in autistic children and autism spectrum children because B6 is imperative for your dopamine pathway as well as oxalate removals. And it's very, very common to see high oxalates in correlation to high fungal overgrowths in children that are autism spectrum. So that is really, really important. Most everybody I test is B vitamin deficient. Um, So this specifically is going to affect, B6 is going to affect your body's ability to break down and clear oxalates. And it also is one of those that's extremely important for your neurotransmitters. So a lot of times you're gonna see some mood disorders in correlation with high oxalates. Also high dose vitamin C. So, you know, we are, we are in a world where you know IV therapy can be really great and really supportive, but if you have high oxalic acid in your body, going high dose vitamin C can actually create um, oxalic acid, so the oxalate metabolites in the body. So when I say high dose, so this is four grams or more a day. So you wanna make sure if you are on a vitamin C to hang out with about 500 milligrams or less per day if you're on a daily dose of it. Um, and you'll want to be in an absorbic acid form that's just going to be but more bioavailable. And like I said, just keeping at that lower dose where you get the benefits of vitamin C, but don't necessarily have the oxalate formation that's happening. Um, I keep going back to fungal infections because fungal infections, when you see them really elevated, cause vitamin C level to be really elevated too. And it's just that metabolite, like I said, that's being created um, to form oxalic acid. Like we said, with the correlation of fungal infections and autism spectrum and things like that, not only do they, you know, the oxalates can build in the brain and the blood vessels and all of those things, creating a perfect storm of oxidative stress. But remember I said in the very beginning, they also cause a retention of heavy metals. So it's just this perfect storm of neuroinflammation. That's why it's not just going low oxalate diet, right? It's, it's doing that in correlation with working on heavy metals and all of the things to bring balance to a child in their system or even an adult with mood disorders and things like that. Trading one without trading the other will not work because you see they're all so highly correlated. Um, The other correlation is low beneficial microbiome. So lactobacillus bifidobacterium can degrade oxalates. So if our gut microbiome is impaired and we are lacking those specific species of our microbiome, then we're going to be more likely to have that oxalate formation and that oxalate overgrowth. Um, So a lot of dysbiosis, especially if there's yeast, candida, fungal, 
that is a huge causative effect of high oxalates. Now, I want to talk to you before you just rush and cut everything that contains oxalates in your diet. For one, that's why I always, always, always talk about testing because see what your body does with oxalates. Um, See if it's even an issue. I mean, it's good to be mindful of oxalates just because, you know, they can be anti-neutrogenic and things like that. But you want to make sure you reduce your intake slowly because there is an occurrence called oxalate dumping. And that's when you just immediately cut all oxalate containing foods very quickly. And then you have all these oxalates that rush to your bloodstream and they can really cause a lot of, you know, sort of die off like symptoms, but it's really just your body can't clear. And so let's just say you're B6 deficient or you have gut dysbiosis or you're missing those, like I said, those strains of bacteria that cannot properly break down oxalates. And then all of a sudden you're flooding your body with oxalates because you immediately stopped consuming them. You can have some symptoms like fatigue, dizziness, hives, pain, irritability, Um, sometimes even those kidney stone formations, uh, especially if calcium is low. So it's really important to make sure you don't do anything too dramatically. The body really tries to stay homeostatic. And so when you make these shifts, it's so much better to make them gradually. So in, you know, as you slowly increase B6, you also want to slowly reduce oxalate containing foods all while you're repairing the gut and doing all of the things with a practitioner. So just to recap, that's leafy greens, which we know leafy greens can be so good for so many things, right? Like folate and things like that. But too much of them, especially for somebody who's deficient in certain things, uh, can be really problematic, right? So beans, nuts, seeds, soy, spinach, kale, those are huge. Um, And then, of course, tea. Tea is a huge one, black tea specifically. So you want to slowly titrate off of these oxalate-containing foods about 5 to 10% each week is kind of like rule of thumb there. So, um, and then you want to slowly titrate off of high dose vitamin C if that's something that you're on and increase calcium with a practitioner because calcium citrate is going to help you bind those oxalates, especially, like I said, if you are predisposed to, um, having oxalate formations and you have some of these things, you looked at your organic acid test and you have high oxalates, slowly work with a practitioner to increase your calcium citrate to help with that absorption of the oxalates that are already formed and help your body move them out. All of course, while drinking plenty of water to help flush, right? Cause we don't need any extra stress on the kidneys. You want to limit slash cut sugar, right? Because we don't need any more oxidative stress. Um, and then, like I said, sugar, oxidative stress, more kidney stress. We don't need that. And then you want to make sure that you're cooking your veggies to lower the lectin and oxalate content as well as phytic acid. So soaking things like your beans, if you are vegan or something like that, and that's one of your main sources of protein, soaking your beans, soaking your grains, things like that. And then high pressure cooking, um, any sort of oxalate containing foods, that can be really supportive as well. So just to summarize, definitely test first, right? It's just, so we have so this abundance of information, right? And we have somebody saying, oh, don't eat this. And oh, now I have to cut this and cut that. It's not a problem for everybody. So make sure that you have good B vitamin levels. Make sure your oxalic acid is in range on an organic acid test. If you are predisposed for some of those issues like kidney stones and like I said, fibromyalgia, joint pain, some of those very specific oxalate related issues, autism spectrum, all of those things. Definitely look at your organic acid test, work with a practitioner, 
Make sure you're not too low calcium in your diet. Look at your B vitamins, specifically B6. Look for dysbiosis in the gut, things that could be affecting your lacto and bifido um, bacteria and find support one step at a time because you don't want to get into an oxalate dumping situation. So I hope that gave you guys some insight, some good ways on how to start if this is an issue for you or if it runs in your family, things like that. Now I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about migraines. This is something that I have definitely struggled with throughout the years. And while my symptoms and, you know, root causes may have been one thing back then, now it's more of a structural thing, an upper cervical thing. So I do have cranial sacral therapy done. And I just have to be very cautious about how my neck position is, like when I'm working out, lifting, things like that. Because for me, that can definitely trigger a migraine. But I had one a couple weeks ago and it really preempted me to do a little blip on this episode about some of the root causes because I know so many of you all struggle with these too. So let's talk about some of the main reasons why. So a lot of times you're going to find food sensitivities to be a major root cause of some of these issues and really highly tied to the highest inflammatory foods like dairy and gluten. Um, which can create that allergic response, that immune response. Um, You know, sometimes this can be tied to what's going on in your gut. If your gut is dysbiotic, you're going to have more food sensitivities. Um, But if you're already cutting everything and you've healed your gut and all of those things, you may have a select few amount of foods that are just going to trigger those for you. So you really need to cut them because that's a very immediate immune response that those foods are not agreeing with you. Parasites are a root cause. Liver stagnation is a huge one because it's just kind of like this buildup of toxins that your liver cannot clear. And so they go systemic and they cause that neuroinflammation, that very acute inflammation. Um, Mold, specifically mold in the sinuses can definitely trigger um, migraine effect. Methylation errors. um, This specifically, if you have like the aura migraine, which is tied to the MTHFR mutation and also um, Methylation errors are going to affect your body's ability to clear histamine and produce glutathione. So if you have a SNP that is not being supported, it's really important to look at that and make sure that all of those SNPs and methylation errors might be, you know, contributing to the frequency. If you have a lot of frequent migraines, you've done all the things, you've done elimination diets, all of those things. Super important to look at. So like I said, imbalances in the gut, leaky gut, that's an immune response. It's definitely can trigger migraines for a lot of people. Mitochondrial dysfunction, blood sugar. So anytime your blood sugar drops too low, that certainly can create a migraine situation. So making sure blood sugar is stable. Heavy metals, of course. We think about anything that could affect our electrical impulses in our brain, in our nervous system, definitely heavy metals. Structural, like I mentioned for me, upper cervical, it's a huge trigger for me. So it's something I have to be aware of and also get some work on sometimes. Dental infections. So making sure you're going to a biological dentist, making sure you have root canals removed, that you do a cone bean scan to make sure that you don't have any hidden infections and things like that. Food additives is a huge one I because I see a lot of people who are doing all the right things and they go out to eat. They have some exposure from something like MSG. Uh, which is going to affect your glutamate receptors in your brain can trigger an immediate migraine. So that's going to be really, really important to make sure you are not exposed to that when you are eating outside of your home, right? And you're not in control. It's really important to make sure that you don't expose yourself to things like MSG. 
So how do you know what your root cause is, right? Because I just listed a whole page full of root causes. And so, of course, I'm always going to say test, right? Start with your testing. So look at your gut if you haven't already. If the gut's good, you're still having issues. Like I said, your diet's clean, perfect. Then look at methylation. Both of those are going to be really important. And if you've, you know, you've rolled those two out, then look at your toxin load. Run the total toxin test. Look at your environmental toxins. There could be something lingering, maybe some radioactive elements or heavy metals that haven't been addressed or a parasite work that hasn't been done. Um, so obviously, working with a practitioner, you know, have you opened up your liver? Have you opened up your drainage pathways? So many things to assess. Um, but if you have testing done, then you can know exactly what needs to be started with. So if you can't test at this moment um, or while you're waiting on your labs, the very best thing you can do if you haven't already is an elimination diet. If your migraines are very frequent and very severe, I would do autoimmune paleo for sure. If they're every once in a while and you can kind of note, are they triggered, you know, women, are they triggered at certain times in your cycle? Because that definitely points to liver, blood sugar, things like that, right? Um, I would definitely recommend going paleo to start and just kind of seeing how your body, you know, making sure you're balancing blood sugar, making sure you're lowering inflammation through diet that it's not being triggered by food. I would definitely start there. If you need to go a little bit deeper, go into, you know, you have some of those histamine type issues like skin issues, things like that, mast cell, um, then doing low histamine foods, watching things like fermented foods, aged foods, bone broth, things like that, because those can definitely trigger if your body cannot properly move out histamines. Like I said, gluten and dairy are very mucus forming foods. Um, and they're very inflammatory. So gluten is going to be directly related to leaky gut. So that's going to be directly related to an immune response, right? And then dairy just causes a lot of people to have some of that, you know, that sinus pressure, that sinus buildup that can trigger a migraine as well. And then of course, cross reactors of gluten, which dairy is one of them. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and then, so other things, like I mentioned, so as, if it's a structural issue, having some chiropractic upper cervical work can definitely be helpful. Cranial sacral therapy, um, which is just another type of body work, that can also be extremely helpful. Check your home for mold, especially if you notice that it's more of that sinus pressure, you know, just kind of that buildup, that constant pressure on your eyeball, things like that. Check your home for mold. Run an ERMI or an EMA test. Do um, neti rinses in the meantime to help support the sinuses and support movement of it. And then even having like an air doctor or something like that, making sure there aren't mold spores all over your home. That's going to be really helpful too. Gut work. So I already said elimination diet, but you shouldn't stay on an elimination diet forever. So you want to make sure that you're doing the actual gut repairing. So rebuilding the gut, locating what need, what's out of balance, what needs to be fixed, lowering inflammation by a low inflammation diet, of course, like paleo, autoimmune paleo, and then restoring, rebuilding. So probiotics, butyrate, postbiotics, things like that. Work with a practitioner so that you're not just guessing and on this self-healing loop that I found myself on for such a long time, just test, have the test to back up what your main issues are and work with a practitioner to heal your gut and look at all the things. Um, I would run a toxin test because you're going to look at mold. You know, if you really want to see if mold's affecting you, look and see what's in your body, right? Look for mycotoxins in your body. And um, because one person is going to react a lot differently than the next when you come to environmental mold. 
Some people can clear it, some people can't. A quarter of the population cannot clear mold. So those are the canaries in the coal mine, essentially, whenever you are having mold exposure. And I, that's the me in my family. So I definitely know if there's mold around for sure. Um, and then so drainage, like we said, liver stagnation is a huge factor when it comes to frequent migraines. So supporting your liver, work with a practitioner by eliminating toxins. Look at your toxins that are coming in. Um, castor oil packs, move your lymph, like just focus on drainage, moving all those things out. Sweating is a huge one. Um, and that's why so many people have so many skin issues because for one, their bile and liver can't clear what these, the toxin load that's accumulating and then they're not moving their lymph. And so all these toxins just become stagnant. And so the body tries to find a way to push them out. And so that's why we have a lot of recurring skin issues um, coupled with an inability to move out histamines and things like that. So it's just this perfect storm, right? And so supporting drainage across the board, is those are things that you can do daily, right? Lifestyle, just make it part of your daily routine, moving your lymph, moving your body, all of those things, sweating daily, so important. Mitochondrial support. So like I said, while working on the root cause, definitely make sure you're supporting your body with minerals. I love, it's called the one from Quicksilver. It's such a great mitochondrial support. Um, I'll link that in my show notes. And then like I said, an air filter, if you feel like it could be an environmental issue, something that's in the air, mold spores, maybe VOCs, maybe you ran your toxin load and you, you see a lot of VOCs showing up. Um, I will link that as well. I love the air doctor. I have them in every room in my home. So that can definitely help lower that toxin load while you're working on supporting moving all these toxins out of your body. So yes, there are a ton of root causes when it comes to migraine. And um, But the good thing is, is once you arm your body with information and then it's so empowering to know, okay, well, this is what I need to avoid. This is what I need more of. I need to support my liver more. I need to you know, maybe it is a structural thing for you. Maybe it's an environmental thing. Um, a lot of times, um, honestly, what I see is that it's related to gut imbalances and gut inflammation. So if you are really focused on the foods that you allow into your body, the type of foods, supporting your gut, focus on gut health, that will eliminate half of the problem for you. If you have to dig deeper, now you have a list of things to look at, right? So I hope this gave you some places to start and some things to look at because it all is very avoidable. Even my structural issues are avoidable. It's just for me sleeping the wrong way or tweaking my neck when I'm lifting weights or something like that can set me off. But at least I know and I know how to get support. I know that I'll need cranial sacral therapy or some upper chiropractic work. Um, if it happens, you know, if it happens frequently. So um, for me, it's just kind of knowing what your trigger is and knowing how to support it and knowing how to avoid the things that are going to cause it um, is going to be huge for you because migraines are totally debilitating. And I feel that so badly for you all. So I really want to help as many people as I can avoid them and then find their triggers for sure because I know how terrible they can be. So I hope that gave you some places to start for sure. Now I want to transition into gluten cross reactors. So this specifically, if you are celiac, autoimmune, have thyroid issues, things like that, it's really important to know that if you've been told to avoid gluten, there are cross reactors that mimic gluten in the body. So we will talk about that. So essentially that means your body will tag these specific foods because their structure 
is so similar to gluten that you are going to create antibodies for these foods as well if you are super sensitive to gluten. So if you're still having things like gut imbalances, brain fog, fatigue, autoimmune issues, skin issues, things like that, and you've eliminated gluten, it's really important to eliminate the foods the body things are gluten as well. So let's talk about gluten for a second. We know that gluten directly causes leaky gut. It increases zonulin, which opens the gaps in our gut lining. And when that happens, you have your barriers essentially open, right? Open for pathogens, toxins, food, all of these things now go systemic into the bloodstream. So we're gonna have this chronic immune response. And that's why how we get food allergies. That's how we get autoimmunity, all of these things, because now these things that are meant to stay in our gut are now in our bloodstream going systemic and now we have this antibody response that's going all over the place so if you are sensitive to gluten that means that your immune system has tagged gluten as an antigen and so what that means is now you're going to have an antibody response every time you consume gluten so foods that are similar molecularly or what we call molecular mimicry antibodies tag as an antigen so they think that it's gluten So now we have an immune response that's not just reacting to gluten, but all of the things that are similar to it in structure. So molecular mimicry, we hear about this with gliadin in the thyroid. So gluten, the protein in gluten called gliadin is very similar to thyroid tissue. And so when we have this antibody response attacking, quote unquote, thyroid, really it's attacking something that it thinks is gluten right and so this is how we have this leeway into the hashimoto epidemic now right we have all these all these people that their bodies are just attacking themselves now which is not really the case right we have to know that that response is attacking something else whether it is one of these gluten cross reactors or a toxin or a stealth pathogen or something like that the body does not attack itself Um, So let's talk about these cross-reactive foods. So casein and dairy. So that's why gluten and dairy are definitely a, if you're sensitive to one, a lot of times you're going to be really sensitive to the other for sure. Corn, millet, oats, rice, and yeast. So this is specifically, like I said, if you are autoimmune, you can't get your antibodies down, you're celiac, you have thyroid, especially like Hashimoto's or things like that, Graves possibly, it's really important to eliminate all of these initially. And um, so going grain, legume, dairy-free, paleo does all of this. That's why I usually start with paleo for a lot of people. Um, See if your symptoms improve, right? Heal your gut, of course, because the thing is, like we talked about previously, A lot of times you're going to be sensitive to a lot of foods just because you have that chronic immune response because of leaky gut. So heal your gut first um, because if it's not healed, you're going to react to a lot more foods. And then after two months or so, try a reintroduction. So same food for three days um, because you can have a response, up to a three-day response with a immune reaction from a food. So you want to make sure that you're not just bringing one in after the other. You want that full three-day time frame before you reintroduce another food and just kind of see if you're having a reaction. Um, And you'll know right away if you're having inflammation, if you have a joint pain, if you have brain fog, if you're having, you know, just these recurring symptoms that have gone away during your elimination diet, you'll know if you're sensitive to these foods. Um, You could run a 
a wheat zoomer test from Vibrant Labs. I will link that up in my show notes. And this is going to look at wheat peptides, gluten and non-gluten um, antibodies, intestinal permeability, and also autoimmune reactions to gluten. So that can be helpful for some, but I always say just, just cut it. You know, these tests are super expensive. If you've already healed your gut and you, I mean, there's just a lot of people who are going to be really sensitive to gluten because our gluten is so inflammatory. It is completely different than the gluten that they use in other countries. So just do an elimination diet. Um, but if you want the testing, you really want to see. Some people like the data. I totally get it. I'll link that in my show notes. Um, one way to really help with that sensitivity, if it is just related, like I said, maybe it was related to gut inflammation and maybe you healed your gut and you're not as sensitive, but you want to support if you do have gluten or any of these cross-reactor foods, supporting with some digestive enzymes. I will definitely link up my favorite in the show notes as well. But you really can't, if you are tagged as celiac or, you know, just really sensitive to gluten, you really can't 80-20 gluten because the antibody response lasts up to six months in the body. So it's really, really important to look for gluten in really sneaky places. If you do have, like I said, just that autoimmunity, um, can't get those antibodies down, a lot of times this is the root cause of it. So watching those few foods that we talked about, dairy, corn, millet, oats, rice, and yeast. And see, like I said, just do a full elimination diet, slowly add in one at a time and see how your body responds. It may not be a forever thing. It may just be while you're healing your gut thing. So just really important to tune in so you know how these foods are affecting you. And it's impossible to tune in if you are eating a highly inflammatory diet, right? So it's really important to make sure you're lowering inflammation as much as you can, as quickly as you can, through diet and then kind of taking it one step at a time from there. If you have an active autoimmune condition like eczema, psoriasis, um, like I said, celiac, Hashimoto's, Graves, things like that, really, really important to cut all six of these initially to start and just see how your body does. Because if your symptoms get shut off when you cut these, then it's a pretty likely, re- you know, likely response that you are super sensitive to these. So maybe we just have to stay paleo. Maybe we just have to cut, you know, and replace some of these things. It's just important to know. And like I said, the more you know, the more empowered you are going into your healing journey, the more you can take charge and say, okay, I cut gluten and I'm still having some of these symptoms. I've healed my gut and it's not enough. So now, you know, I didn't realize that there were other foods that react the same way gluten does in my body. So having the power to know what those are, cutting them, And you may not be sensitive to all of them. You know, maybe there's just one that's continuing to trigger you. So um, being intuitive, being in tune with how these things are affecting your body is so powerful and so empowering. So just take one step at a time and get to the root of it. And like I said, if you want to look at through testing what, you know, how these things affect you, look to see if you have leaky gut or intestinal permeability, look at that gluten and non-gluten antibody response, then run the wheat zoomer through vibrant. I'll link that up in my show notes. But otherwise, like I said, just do the elimination. I see this so frequently too in children. And a lot of it is because we cut gluten, but a lot of the gluten-free breads contain things like dairy or rice and things like that. So we don't really get the full benefit of going gluten-free because we are trading in one inflammatory product for another, right? 
Or maybe we cut gluten but not dairy, and we don't realize it could have the same response. So this is definitely not to scare anyone. It's just to be empowered in your decision-making, in your healing journey, and, you know, make sure that your body is not perpetuating the immune response that it has to gluten because of these cross-reacting foods. So the more you know, right? So I will definitely link up everything we talked about in the show notes, and I post more about this stuff on Instagram. So if you don't already, follow me at dr.stacy.nd. And you can submit questions on there or email me at vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll be back on soon. Have a great rest of your day.